That's your decision now, don't I? This is the Black Rifle Coffee Podcast. All right. Have another special one. We always say that. There's always, oh, got a special show today. No, but you flew in for this, so I I'm did. excited. And it's always a treat to have a United States Navy SEAL join. Wait. Oh, really? Uh, really? <laughs> dude, dude. We had to go there. Come on. They no, look, no, look good. Look, look, look at the hair. I'm yeah. not wearing tanning oil. I don't have the hair <laughs> going on. Uh, oh, that's right. I love you, my brothers. You, but, uh, you, yeah. look, uh, you look like war-torn. So. <laughs> Green Beret. That's right. Green Beret, Mr. Jay Collins from Florida, Tampa area. You recently uh, have announced that you're running for Congress down there. That's right. And, dude, all these veterans that are that are running for office right now, we're super happy that they are um, because everybody knows things are, things are wonky. It's a little crazy out there right now, right? <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Please tell us, tell us about, you know, when, when, when did you go in the army? Uh, when was that? What? So I joined up in the army after getting kicked out of the national guard, right? I was a, uh, athlete in college. Whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah, let's yeah. go back to the, you're in the national guard. I'm in the national guard. <laughs> I wrecked my knee playing football, okay, right? Okay. ACL, MCL. And they were like, look, you're not really able to do this army thing anymore. This national guard thing. So we're, we're going to expedite you on the way out. Okay, cool. Uh, joined the army two years later. Uh, but they asked me to uh, come in in a uh, non-physical MOS. So I'm like, you know, what am I going to do? They offered me x-ray tech, you know, medical this, medical that. And then I saw intelligence. I was like, now that sounds cool. I'm thinking James Bond, right? Uh, in reality. I, I want to be intelligent. Right. Yeah. That, that, that wasn't what I did, though. I ended up in a building with no windows a lot of times. I uh, loved it. Learned a lot about the Army. Met amazing people. But uh Spent my first couple of years uh, in the military in uh, Korea, you know, dealing with that, that problem set. Went to Fort Carson, uh, a.k.a. Uh, trips to NTC for about two years. Uh, and then ended up uh, going to the U.K., where I ended up meeting my wife, who was also in the Army. She's, a, you know, retired now. She's a counterintel agent. And, uh, you know, it was, it was pretty amazing. We ran off to Vegas after two months. The most, I love this story. Right? The most <laughs> unlike us thing in the history of, uh, of each of us. We're, we're pretty serious people, right? Yeah. Maybe a little stoic. I don't have the great hair. So, you know, I, I make up for where I can. But uh, in the end, you know, we got our way to Fort Bragg. And that's really where I want to pick up this story because yeah. everything in our life kind of shifted at that. I think everybody's life kind of shifts when it gets to Fort Bragg. Well, <laughs> Fort Bragg is the epicenter of the universe, right? People don't realize it, but everything in the world draws back to Fort Bragg. Fayetteville, North Carolina, one way or another, right? I mean, come on. Yeah. Everybody yeah. in our community I, knows it. I was I was there. I was there for six six great year great years. Mm -hmm. yep. <laughs> but I did. I loved I loved the unit that I was in. I loved the schools and the training I got I got to attend. I love the people that I met. Uh, to include, you know, the people I met out on town. What year, what years did you end up back in Fort Bragg? So I got to Fort Bragg, uh, actually just before 9-11, signed into the first of the 325. I was, uh, pretty stoked, went off to uh, test the theory of gravity at Fort Benning, Georgia. It actually worked. <laughs> so on September 10th, I did my first jump out of a military aircraft and, uh, you know, tested it, was pretty excited that I didn't, you know, my chute opened one, yeah. I didn't have to use my reserve and, uh, I was able to get up and walk away. Uh, 9-11, we loaded up on the plane. And we flew in circles. We didn't know what was going on. Um, oh, so you guys are in shoots. You're in jump school. We are in jump school during 9-11. <laughs> this am. is great because we we hear tons of nope. stories during people's history about where they were in 9-11. This is a first for me. Yep. I have not heard of anybody that was in the plane during at yep. jump school. during. I'm in a plane, 9-11, getting ready to do jump number two, right? To go back to the 82nd Airborne Division and do what we got to do, right? And... Uh, they they wave off the jump, tell us to sit down, the leave is hooked up, and we fly in circles for hours. No one knows what's going on. No one's communicating. It's Georgia. It's hot. We're in the vomit comet, right? Like things yeah. are going sideways in a hurry. Finally, they tell us to, you know, unhook. Uh, we, we sit back down and we keep flying. Finally, they're like, look, we're going to go ahead and land. They bring us down, park us in the middle of, uh, of the tarmac, right? And uh, we still don't know what's going on. We have no idea. It's been hours at this point. We're out of fuel. They landed us. Uh, the plane's hot. You know, you don't want to leave kids in a car. You don't yeah. want to leave a train full, uh, a plane full of uh, Joes sitting in the sun either, right? So finally, they get us in the tarmac, sit us out there, 
and uh, they tell us that something's happened that's extremely important. The airspace is getting locked down. So we're like, wow, all right. Oh, yeah, this is 2000. No one's got phones. Right, There's no, no social media. There's no internet. That's right. Everyone's just kind of like, wait, what? Something's happened. The airspace is closed. That's right. We're like, wow. So something big has happened. We have no clue. We're thinking, okay, this is going to... We're probably going to be pulled out of jump school. The whole world's going to change. We have no clue what had just happened. So they finally get us in the cattle cars, right? We're loaded up. We drive back. We offload. And uh, they sit us out in the rocks at uh, in Fort Benning, Georgia. Yeah, that's yeah. right. We're just sitting there. And you know those TV stands that you saw as a kid when they wheel it in? You were really excited because it's like, ooh, we're skipping class for a little bit. We're going to watch a movie. Well, that's what they brought out. And they replayed the videos of what was going on. I was in utter shock. So my wife and I had just gotten married a few months prior, and she was actually living in D.C. at the time. We didn't have cell phones. No, nobody did that, right? Yeah. So I don't know, is she okay? Is she not okay? Uh, we're desperately trying to get through. Phone lines are jammed. The bases are locked up. Finally, you know, we were able to get, get in touch. We found out all was okay. And, you know, we all expected our world to shift, but I don't think any of us really understood how dramatically things were going to shift. We all wanted to get into the war because it was going to end quickly, right? That's what we all thought back then. In no way, shape, or form do we think it would last as long as it did. So we do that. You know, I, I want to say there's probably seven or eight people pulled out of our class, went back to wherever they came from. The rest of us graduated jump school, went back to Fort Bragg. Did they finish the jumps or did they just say, hey, one was enough? Uh, no, we did, actually. We oh, ended wow. up doing all wow. of our jumps. Uh, we did three in one day at the end of this thing. Uh, <laughs> that, that actually was probably nice. It, it was. It was a good <laughs> way to finish up, right? And, uh, yeah, did all those things, got back to Fort Bragg, and— uh, Prepared to, you know, get ready to get our get our gun on, right? We were all leaning forward in the pocket. You know, uh, I'm take a little pause on this. So the Army has a program called the Joint Married Couples Program. Mm -hmm. uh, if you like movies, I'm going to refer to the Pirates Code with Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah. It's kind of an ish. So my wife yeah. was in D.C. I was stationed in the U.K. We all got brought back to Fort Bragg, and she was not coming in the most expeditious route with the Army travel plan. So she came a few months later. So I'm trying to find a place. I'm living in temporary lodging and everything. And uh, we finally get settled in, in the same place. And they send me off to uh, the Joint Interagency Task Force for a, a one-person uh, deployment uh, to Tampa, Florida, actually, to go work with CENTCOM and SOCOM. Have no idea who these people are. And that was my first real exposure to what SOF was about, how they operated, and uh, how did you get that selected seat. for that? Because you're Intel I was an background? Intel guy. Yeah. Yeah, I was just an Intel guy. And they were like, uh, you have, you, you're an Intel guy, you're in the right rank, and you're here by yourself. You're the guy. Congratulations. You made it. Roger that. Wow. So off I go. Right. And it, it was amazing because until then I had never experienced being around SF guys, TACPs, PJs, Navy SEALs. I'd read about it, but didn't really experience. And I really saw the kinetic aspect of what they're, what, what they were doing. Right. So after that, I knew no matter what happened, that's the arena I wanted to get into. So I came back from that, uh, that, that, you know, was a nine month trip and, uh, Went to selection like three weeks afterwards. No kidding. Didn't train up. Didn't do anything. Just was like, I don't care what you do. Uh, I'm going to pass. I'm not going to lose. I'm not going to fail. This is my one opportunity. And I'm not going to pass. And this is by. after the National Guard had kicked you out for leg injuries. This is. This is. I mean, <laughs> check the irony on that, right? So, you know, went to selection in November of 2000. Two, 2002, uh, the infamous ice storm class, right? So it was so cold <laughs> that trees were freezing and falling on people, right? Like dead serious. They actually closed down Sears School and Selection because it was too cold. That never happens. Insanity, right? So managed to make that, you know, there's a huge cut line. I get selected and they're like, uh, congratulations, son. You're going to get to go be a Green Beret. I was like, awesome. I want to be an 18 Bravo, a weapons guy. And they're like, no. no. I don't think so. How about a Charlie? You're an Intel guy. Right. You have some smarts in here. And then they're like, well, how about an Echo? It's like, do you want to be an SF guy? Well, yes, sir. I do very much. Well, you're going to be an 18 Delta. It's like, I don't want to be a medic. Right? <laughs> Refer let's rephrase this. Do you want to be an SF guy? I'll ask again. Absolutely. Right? So that's a great idea, sir. I would love to be an 18 Delta. Let's do this. <laughs> um, that's a fine idea. I think that's it. That's, that's a the best idea thing, I've right? heard all day. <laughs> uh, I can't believe you guys did it. You know, I, I'm stoked. So, you know, two months after that, I PCS, we start the Q course and uh, it is a two and a half year failure, you know, day in, day out. Everything is a test. You can fail any given week. Uh, you know, it's, 
it's opportunity, right? The outcome's dependent on you. you know, it's kind of like our constitution, right? <laughs> yeah, it's opportunity plus hard work yields outcome. So we go through that and uh, it's amazing. Uh, I never would have thought that I would have loved medicine, but it gave me something kinetic. It gave me something valuable and it made a difference. And I really fell in love with what we did in the 18 Delta reign and, you know, uh, in the realm. I wouldn't say this back then, but I'll say it now. I'm so thankful that those guys understood that I would be a good fit for this because I never would have done this. I would have loved being a Bravo because we all like to play with guns and blow stuff up and do these awesome things. But it really, it was pretty amazing. And getting those tools and that mindset really paid off later, right? So I went to Seventh Special Forces Group. Um, I'm excited. We're uh, you get to stay at Bragg at this. Point. I do right. Yeah. My whole career was pretty much at Fort Bragg. Right, that was home. Uh, I had always envisioned I'd be there for four years and go back to somewhere else. Never did I think I'd be that guy who spent almost 20 years on Fort Bragg. Right, but <laughs> but whatever, man, it happens. So we're at Seventh Special Forces Group. I go to ODA seven three two and seven three four. Now seven one three two seven one three four. We deployed to uh, South America a couple of times. Uh, we come back and they're like, look, guys, you guys are going to Afghanistan. Get ready. Get prepped. Uh, you're going to be going to uh, Aura's Gun. I'm like, awesome. Cool. So by now I get moved over to the Halo team, 734, and we're prepping. We're ready to go. We infill and it's April of 07 and uh, it's our first real big gunfight. You know those old G.I. Joe cartoons where that's like blue tracers oh, and yeah. red tracers 100%. and everything's blown up? Well, it's kind of one of those, right? It's a knockdown, <laughs> drag out. It, some RPGs, well, yeah, some mortars. It was a couple RPGs where they, they fired them so close they didn't blow Explode, up, right? Yeah. yeah, they just hadn't armed. You hear a big clunk and you're like, what on earth is that, right? I'll, I'll use better language this time, right? But uh, <laughs> uh, you look over there and like, oh, well, look at that. The guys are so close. They're, they're shooting, you know, so close to us because they, they don't want the A-10s to come in and do gun runs. They know if they're up close and personal, that can't happen. So we're calling in uh, calling in airframes, whatever else. They're just doing drive-bys, essentially, to scare them free. And uh, that's when it happens, man. Uh, we're getting our gun on. I'm on the 240 in the back deck of the back truck. And I start slipping on the floor, right, of... Uh, of this this deck, I think, oh my God, man, they probably hit my case of rippets, right? I'm, I'm, I'm heartbroken thinking I'm going to have to lose my caffeine content or maybe they hit some oil, something like that. It never dawns on me that it could be blood, right? So in, in, in war, and you know this, right? There's always an ebb and a flow, a crescendo and a decrescendo. And things finally slow down a little bit, right? So you, you reflexively shift out your gun, you know, pull the belt, add in more rounds, do what you got to do, get prepped and ready for the next, uh, you know, pick up in, in the gunfight. And I shine a light down there and I realize it's blood. I still don't think it's me, right? Like I'm looking around at our driver, our TC, the guy in the turret. And I'm like, dude, what's up? And they're looking at me like, they're giving me that look like, no, it, it's you, bro. Like, check yourself. I look down and realize I've probably lost about a liter of blood. Ooh. I throw a tourniquet on, right? You know, you have so much adrenaline. Where's it coming out of? Uh, out of my arm, man. So oh. I got hit in the arm. So you get up on the swing arm, right? Yeah. You're not supposed to put your 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 arm on top of that, right? And you, it messes with the feed. And our Bravo's gave me a whole reason why, but I'm a <laughs> medic, so I can get away with it, right? And uh, luckily, my arm was there, or that round would have uh, on that ricochet probably would have hit me in the face. <laughs> so it hits my arm. Um, we're pretty blessed in that regard, right? And put the tourniquet on, the gunfight picks up and I leave a tourniquet on for the next hour, hour and change while we're getting our gun on. It slows down and uh, we transfer it to a pressure dressing, wrap up the uh, the engagement. We got a bunch of people injured and uh, I'm like, dude, it's just an arm wound, right? What could possibly happen? Never think anything could go sideways. So we get the other guys out on the bird and there is no next aircraft because we're in Casa where gone at Firebase Anaconda and uh, you know, clouds chalk in, it just, it is what it is, right? So a couple days later, uh, we're starting to have some issues and we realize we're going to have to uh, do a surgery on my arm in the fire base. You know, it's one of those things that you say it out loud. They're like, wait, what? <laughs> but dead serious, man. My junior medic, myself, we brought in our weapons guy and our, our engineer as scrub techs and surge techs. And uh, we did a block on the elbow, a block on the shoulder, and we prepared my left arm to be cut on. I want to make up a word because I like doing this sometimes in my right arm to surgerize my other arm. Right. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, no kidding, man. There we are. Uh, I've got, uh, you know, a partial fasciotomy we're getting ready to do open up two compartments with my junior medic and I, and we're, we're doing what we have to do because I've got, you know, compromised vascularity and a bunch of other things going on and they couldn't get us out. And, 
you do what you do, man. But that training in the 18 Delta course, inoculating you with stress, telling you no matter what you come up against, we're going to have you prepared for this moment that you don't know is coming that you could never even imagine. And that was my moment. I mean, there's nothing that prepares you to do surgery on yourself. It's a way cool barroom story when you share with people, but it was not awesome at the time, right? <laughs> like, I kid you not. When we first started doing this, man, my arm looked like a singer sewing machine, right? It's like a... I felt like I was going to give myself a tattoo, right? It, it was crazy. <laughs> but uh, yeah, man. How did you prep for this? Like, 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 okay, first, you've got three individuals that have no experience in medicine, but maybe some TCCC, some, That's right. some, That's right. some CLS, like, and then you've got a junior medic who, you know, yeah. fresh out. He's a young guy. Okay. So what was the planning that went into the surgery here? Well, you know, Back then, there was what they call the War Wound Surgical Handbook, right? So you open this up, you're like, This is the anarchist cookbook. Fasciotomy. It has a drawing of an arm. It looks like my six year old drew it, right? And I love my boys, and I'm not talking smack at all. It's got a dotted line that says cut here, right? Like, <laughs> that's the depth of what it gives you. You're like, Oh my goodness. But we, you know, in the course, they teach you how to do this, right? We, we, we train on burns. We train on these things. So we understand the concept, how to do it. But we've never really done a fasciotomy, right? Yeah. Let alone on yourself. All I knew is that uh, if we don't do this, there's a really good shot that I lose my arm, you know, that uh, or I have real bad complications that uh, could uh, end up retiring me or something like that. And, you know, my best shot of having a successful outcome is to do something that you really can't prepare for. So we literally drafted this out, cleaned everything, prepped it, got everybody set up, told them specifically how they're going to do this. But, you know, the thing with your weapons guys and your your engineers, they're really good with their hands, right? They build bombs, they play with guns, small parts. So they're really good and adept at, uh, at learning these things. And, you know, in our community, everyone's got really good functional intelligence. So they pick this stuff up fast and they'd all been, you know, involved in treating patients, doing those things, cross training like we do on teams. So, you know, yes, they didn't have the formal training, but they figured it out pretty fast. And uh, I won't say we stayed at a Holiday Inn Express, but it was pretty close, right? Like that's kind of how we <laughs> rolled. And uh, man, we, we, we did this, we opened it up. We had some great footage of it, but my, uh, my laptop that was on got blown up later. So Aww. yeah, I was kind of sad faced about that. It would be that. so good if we, if we still had that. I have a couple of photos. A couple of photos. So here's a little funny anecdote. So my wife is in Intel, right? Yeah. And I'm like, okay, where she works on Fort Bragg, she's going to hear my roster number come across. So I got to call her, right? So I call her up and let her know, hey, look, I'm okay. I got hit. Probably going to have to have some surgery, but I'll be all right. So she's pinging. So I decided, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to tell her th through a photo that I'm okay, right? So we show her a post-surgical photo of me smiling and pointing at my arm, right? And one while we're getting ready to cut. And she's like, what are, you, what are you doing? Like, I don't want to see that. I was like, but I'm okay. Like, look, see? I'm okay. I'm happy. Yeah. We're, we're good. We, we saved my arm. And she's like, no, 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 no. Don't do that. So guys, if you ever find yourself where you're doing <laughs> surgery on yourself, don't, don't send it to your girlfriend, your fiance, your wife, or anybody else, right? They don't want to see that junk, right? I thought I was just doing the right thing and communicating this, but a uh, little lesson learned. <laughs> um, that, it, it makes family reunions interesting, you know. Oh, Uncle Ted invested some into some stocks, and uh, Sally went to Cabo. Jay gave himself surgery. Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Those conversations do happen, and uh, you know, went back to Taryn Cout, had a few more surgeries, <laughs> did this stuff, and I rushed back to the fire base three weeks later, and you know, we're there for the remainder of the trip, right? But uh, a little funny anecdote, this has become like an urban legend where people yeah. talk about it. <laughs> I've heard stories where my arm was hanging on and we sewed it back on. I've heard all kinds of crazy stuff. It's like, nah, man, it was just a two-compartment fasciotomy. It's it pretty cool. It was just a two-compartment. It was just, yeah, that just was a two-compartment fasciotomy, <laughs> right? It was, uh, it's pretty cool, this right? This is not the first time you've had to operate on yourself. Yeah. It's a thing, you know, it's... What else happened? Well, you know, we'll save that for another podcast, right? But uh, no, and in the end, it's fun, you know, be able to tell the story, have a little bit of fun with it, poke some, uh, you know, yeah, poke my chest a little bit and, uh, and say, look, here's the lessons I learned. Here's the reality of it. But what's cool about it is we applied these lessons to how they educated people in the Q course. Yeah. And they started teaching people like, hey, 
you may actually have to use this skill. So why don't we train you on this? Yeah. Right? Let's do this because there was this guy once who had to do surgery. There was this, this is yeah. really happening now. Right. So maybe we had maybe this to we ought to figure it out. Right. And it's just nice to see that soft adapted so quickly, right, to the needs on the ground. Right. It's something that I think a lot of our government and other people could really learn from. You know, that same trip uh, a little bit later uh, back then it was the Wild West. It was very kinetic. Uh, they were directly trying to overrun the firebase again and. Uh, you know, mortars are coming in. We have like 18, 20 head of horse and they're shooting at our horse. They're dropping mortars. They're, they're launching rockets. This is in August of 07. And, uh, you know, mortar hits. I, you know, get peppered with some shrapnel. Don't think much of it, right? And fell down some steps. Uh, you know, really, you don't think anything of it, right? Nothing got ripped off. I'm like, all right, man, it's just a flesh wound, right? Like, whatever. We get up, do what we got to do. And you, and, you, and you keep pushing, and uh, whether it was the fall, the blast over pressure, no one really understands. But that moment in time is the best place they can figure out is why I ended up losing my leg later. Really? So, yeah, um, it's a frog in a pot, right? You don't realize how bad it is until it's gone. Well, I ended up having my leg fall apart for the next several, you know, five and a half, six years uh, to the point where prior to the amputation, it was essentially just skin and bone. I couldn't move it. I was in what's called the IDEO, which is this uh, carbon fiber brace system uh, that gives you propulsion like a prosthetic. I couldn't move it. I couldn't feel it. It was like Mr. Deed's foot, yeah. if you will, right? Yeah, yeah it was the great dead. party tricks. Right? It was I, it, a hammer? Yeah, I, I can totally. I could like poke it with needles and stuff and it, <laughs> yeah, it, you couldn't feel it. I could take a 50 cent piece and jab it in my leg and uh, leave a dent there for like five hours. It was, it was bizarre. So, you know, flash forward in this, because I know we went a little long on the uh, the arm story, but, uh, you know, my leg is falling apart. We finally, the army decides they're going to retire me, right? Like we've, we've reached that point where, dude, you're just not able to perform. Your leg is failing. You're obviously in pain. And, and I am, right? I mean, you're like- You're at fire bases, giving yourself surgeries. You're a liability right. for the Department of Defense, I know, Jay. I know. Well, you know, I'm jumping out of airplanes still. I'm in this brace <laughs> and uh, fast rope and doing, you know, army green beret stuff, yeah. right? All this stuff that we love. And, you know, I've moved on to some other units on Fort Bragg at this point. And uh, they're very high energy, uh, amazing people. And- uh, you don't want to be the weak link in those places, right? No. So I'm physically becoming kind of the weak link, right? Like uh, up until this point in my life, nothing had been hard. I could always run and jump and outperform people physically in many regards. And I started to learn humility and what it was like to be broken and what it was like to just have to deal with adversity, right? And the army tells me you're going to retire, but that organization uh, sent me to the Mayo Clinic, uh, oddly enough. They brought me to the Mayo. The Mayo looked at it differently. And what they found is that I had no lymphatic function in my leg. I had arterial and vascular compromise. I had no nerve function. So essentially, uh, I had the- It wasn't there. Yeah, I had the, like a leg like an end-state diabetic. You know, it was 105 years old, right? It was just a mess. The toes, the toenails had fallen out. The hair had fallen out. It was blue or purple. Just didn't look like the other, right? You know, one of those kindergarten skills that we all we all rave about sometimes. So they're like, look, you're going to have to lose your leg at some point. It's now or later. I'd already made up my mind a couple of years before that this thing was a triage nightmare. It wasn't getting better. I just wanted my life back, right? Yeah. I've got a little boy at the time uh, who were, you know, we're just so blessed to have because we didn't expect to have kids, right? That's a whole other long story. And, uh, you know, we come back around after this appointment. A few months later, they cut it off. Three days after surgery, I wake up without pain for the first time ever. Right. Uh, since this, this injury. And uh, I was like, wow, dude, I feel I feel good, <laughs> like amazing. It's like everything's clear. It clears the, your head. The, the pain the is are, gone. That's right. The your mood is better. Opened up. The sun is shining. And, uh, you know, we hang out there for a few more months at the, at the Mayo or a few more weeks at the Mayo. Go back to Walter Reed. We're there for five months for rehab. And uh, I bump into a guy named uh, General Ray Odierno, right? I'm doing box jumps. Yeah, he's, yeah. A, he's a pretty big dude, right? Yeah. So I'm literally- He's the 18th Airborne Corps commander uh, in right. 2005. That's uh, right. And I was in the Corps jock for a little while. So yep. yeah. I, I good guy, man, him. right? So I'm doing box jumps, right? I'm like, I'm telling myself I'm going to not get retired. I'm going to stand active duty. I'm at 18 and a half years at this point. <laughs> Everybody in the Army is telling me like- Dude, you're crazy. You're going to get retired. Yeah. That's the thing, right? Just, just pack it up, pack it in, go, go let something else begin, right? Little, little play on music there, right? But uh, anyway, you know, I'm doing box jumps. I turn around. I'm like, oh, wow. 
all right, there's a big guy. So I step back, you know, actually make eye contact and I stare at his, uh, I think I was staring at his rank because I'm, I'm a little bit of a stubby guy, right? A little short. And uh, he's like, well, you're a little different than the rest of these guys. I was like, yes, sir. You know, I told him my story. I'm a Green Beret. I want to stay in active duty. He said, okay, well, why don't you? I was like, well, I'm, I'm old, you know, I'm at 18 and a half years. And they're telling me it's time to retire. I just want the opportunity. Uh, he actually called around, made sure that I got the opportunity, brought the Sergeant Major of the Army in. And, uh, you know, I'm going to brag on our community. Everybody in Special Forces gave me the opportunity. You're either going to be able to prove yourself or not prove yourself, right? They gave me that chance. And, uh, you know, one year after I got back to Fort Bragg, we were found fit for duty as a Green Beret, but with one leg. You know, one of the big questions that got asked there, and it comes up all the time still, you know, when people talk about this, like, hey, if you're out there, you're jumping, you're deploying, you're doing Army Green Beret stuff, what are you going to do if your leg breaks? Like dead serious. It's the same like, thing if you have a regular leg. Well, uh, well, they're staring at me, but but it's not, right? I'm like, well, I'm going to take my spare leg out of my oh, back, yeah, you, out you. of my rucksack, right? I'm going to change it. What are you going to do if your leg breaks? <laughs> I'm going to carry you. So they're like, well played, touche. All right, you can we got have it, a spare right? leg. I cannot. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So, you know, it was a blessing, you know, that I say that now I was so frustrated. You, you know how it is. You want nothing more than to get your gun on, to deploy, do all those things with the guys on your team. And when you get injured, you get taken out of that a little bit, right? It's such a, yeah, it's, yeah, it's I mean, that it, purgatory of no, 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 no. <laughs> it, it is, man. And you, I'm just, all I want is to be a dude on a team slinging lead, doing my job with my brothers and my friends to my left and my right and do what we have to do. And that had been taken away from me, right? So to be, you know, found fit for duty and requalify as a Green Beret and just keep pushing on, it was a blessing. But, you know, it didn't go how I wanted to go. The Army had other plans because, again, I was an old guy. I had one leg. You say it out loud. They were like a little nervous about this, right? Uh, so they put me in a couple of positions to build programs for the DOD, yeah. uh, to build ways to better train our, our, our operators in, in uh, steer environments, you know, working with the Jedbergs and some of those guys, uh, giving medical skills to our non-medics to make them more survivable in the field. And uh, it, it's pretty amazing how that all came around, these medical skills, all the things that I fought back against. You, you begin to realize that things happen for a reason. And when you just let life go a little bit and stop trying to control everything, sometimes it works out pretty good, right? And we created these programs, saved a bunch of dudes' lives and uh, by creating SOFAC and RSM and a bunch of these courses that made a difference. And I finally bring it all the way back to uh, Special Warfare Medical Group where I retire. Uh, it's my last duty assignment. I finally realized this time, after about five years as an amputee, I'm like, I've had my fun. We're good. It is time to retire. I take a first sergeant job running the company, then one of the companies there. And I'm like, this is good. It's it's synergy, right? We're going to close this thing out where my the cool part of my career, everything I, I've loved doing, all began. And... Uh, pretty amazing. Uh, was nominated for an award, the Singlob Award there, which goes out to uh, uh, one of the, the top soldier in USASOC and was given that because of what our team created on Fort Bragg with the uh, RSM and SOFAC courses. And I share that not because I'm patting myself on the back. Nobody cares, right? That's just a, it's a plaque on the wall. But because it was really the first time that I saw that I was put through a lot of these things and lost the opportunity to be a Green Beret and a team because I was given the skills to overcome adversity, teach that to other people and draw people in and help solve problems that were a little bit bigger, right? And it, it weighed on me that we as Green Berets, as soft professionals, call ourselves the quiet professionals, but quiet and silent aren't the same thing. When you're quiet, people wait to hear you speak. When you're silent, people speak for you. And they don't speak your equities appropriately. And I think that is part of the problem with what's going on in our country right now, right? We have a ruling class that has stepped into the, the, the breach and is doing all those things for us, right? Long-term politicians who don't speak for our ideas, ideals, no, or principles. They don't even have a grasp on That's what, right. what everybody's actual kind of temperature is. That's right. Like, what have you we're really seeing it every day. Yeah, what have you built? What have you done? What have you... What have you actually had to give up? What hard choices have you had to make? What are your life experiences that put you in a position where you speak well, really, for the American I, and people? And I think you, you reel it back to 
where are your efforts being pushed? Because we That's should, right. we should, you should be able to show us that and we should be able to triage it to what is wh- who you represent. That's right. Like, like, and that's where I think we've kind of lost it. You know, uh, Tony Cowan was on here a couple weeks ago that's and he right. said, yeah, I'm bringing back the definition of a representative. I'm not here to tell you what I think. You know, he says he goes to his town hall meetings and, and his events that he does. He goes, what do you want? What is it that you, what is it that you guys are thinking? Because if you're putting me in this place, I am now the person that's supposed to speak for you. So tell me what you would like me to do. Like, when did we lose that? Like, it's crazy to me because I don't even see, like, like you would think with the increase in technology that we have now, the connectivity with the things that we have, it would be very easy for us to put a system in place that verifies your identity and creates geo borders. Mm -hmm. And that way, a a congressman or or someone in Congress has an instant ability to ask their district where they sit on certain items and have them weigh in and vote. Like, would you like me to push for for more money for roads? Would you like me to push for more money for schools? Would, where right. do you stand on CRT or this? And they can look at it and go, hmm, well, my district is this way, so I'm going to go ahead and, and think that way. Instead, what you have is you have this wave of individuals that have jumped into a seat for their own personal fame. They all they're concerned with are sound bites that they get on one of the the leaning news outlets. And there's no progress or there's really no sustenance that comes out of it. Like it's like when you look at some of these people, what have they done since they got in office? Just throwing a bill on the floor that you know is just gonna get thrown away isn't progress. Yeah, co-signing a bill that's just going to go nowhere. Yeah. Agreed, right? And really, all it is is grandstanding. It's a, it's a, it's a new form of gaslighting, of pretending to social media that you do something, and that's what's been bothering me a lot lately. Is I see a lot of people on both sides grandstanding and 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 making some weird blanket statement. That actually, when you when you truly pick that apart, it doesn't mean anything. It's you you know standing up and saying, saying? yeah, perfect example. The other day, I saw you know we will never we will never uh, we will never let them regulate crypto, and it's like, well, first off, like what what does that mean? (laughs) And then what is and what you just said doesn't necessarily you're never going to be able to control that. You're just you're just saying something for the sake of saying something and hoping that someone that looks at your stuff connects you with that. And then and then their their mind is made up. And it was just, you know, that's just an example of something I've seen. No, I totally get it. You know, and uh, Tony and I are friends, right? He, he, he's an awesome guy. I love everything about the about the man. And uh, I like to say words have meaning, right? Yeah. Uh, as a representative, it, it mean, clap it out. Representative, right? Mm-hmm. Say it out loud. Take it to heart. You have to talk to your people. That the bottom line is, whether you do it digitally, you do it in person, you actually have to take the time to go back and talk to your constituents. Period, right? If you're not talking to your constituents, who are you serving? Whose voice are you actually pushing out there? In the end, I think the American people are tired of politicians telling them how to think. They want to hear, they want their voice to be heard, right? They want to be asked, well, what do you think? What do you feel? What does this entire community feel? Those are the things we have to do as a representative. I'm not going to tell people how to think, right? It's just not my job. That never is going to work. No right. matter Nobody what, wants what that, platform right? you're it's on. It's crazy. Like, it's crazy. You know, uh, it, it, I'm a little remiss. I forgot to mention one thing, right? I also work in the nonprofit sector. Yeah. So my role in the nonprofit is obviously completely separate from what I do in, uh, in, in politics and running for office. But I want to bring it up because it's important. Uh, our country is a very giving country, right? We don't have to be legislated into uh, the same outcome. People give freely. Look what's going on in the Ukra- in Ukraine, right? With people giving freely for people they've never met in a different continent, in a different country. We do the same thing within our own borders. You know, when I retired, I ran a bike from Los Angeles on Skid Row all the way to Tampa, Florida in 50 days, 3,000 miles in 50 days. We call it the Breaking Bread Tour. And we wanted to just break bread and draw people in 
and uh, let people know that, you know, you can sit down with people from all walks of life and break bread and see what you have in common, right? And what we proved to ourselves, and my whole family was with me, right? My children fed meals in Skid Row, my wife did, all the way to Tampa where we opened up the Warrior Games, is that people really saw three things, right? They wanted their family to be successful. They wanted a better future for their kids and they want to be a part of growing their community no matter where we were in the country. Everyone kind of agreed on that, right? No matter what. And yeah, no one's waking and that's a thing. That's where I think we've gotten so clouded with social media now. No one wakes up and is like, man, I wish I gave right. more money to the government. Man, I wish the government told me more of what I can and can't do with, with where I live. or That's with, right. You know, no one's just like, man, I really wish that. Oh, absolutely, right? It's government of the people, by the people, and for the people. And the government doesn't have money. They have taxes they take from us, right? Yeah. But, but in a republic, the minority and the majority are protected from each other. But more importantly, they are protected from the government, right? We are the people in charge. We have to use our voice. And I, I made this point about the nonprofit to just bring it around to the point you made with Tony, right? To be a representative, you got to be involved. you got to ask the questions. But you have to throw your foot in the ring, right? You have to choose to do something bigger than yourself. You have to choose to be a part of a solution. You know, I share my time in the nonprofit because I didn't want to just sit there and talk about making a difference. I wanted to go make a difference. We fed millions of people across the country, right? We give back to veterans and first responders, uh, military. It makes a difference. That's the kind of selfless service and dedication to the American people we should expect from representatives, right? Period. It's not about serving yourself or, or, or serving anything other than the American people. So let's let's bring this thing full center, right? And let's talk the politics. I mean, and that's 100% like, it's like I've shifted now where it's like, you got to earn your opinion. That's right. Like, like all the, all the shouting that goes on these days. And it's all from, it's a lot of noise from people that have never done anything for their community, for politics, for anything. So it's like, they want to jump on you and shout how you should think or how you should behave or what you should do. And then it's like, I start backtracking them on Instagram. Like, it's like, okay, you want to make this strong stance. All right, let's see what this guy does. And it's always nothing. It's like, okay, so not a, like, like you have all these strong opinions, but what have you done? Where, at what point have you gone, okay, I'm working on this to make this better for right. the country. And, and if, if that is an empty basket, then I don't want to hear your opinion. That's right. <laughs> well, you, you, and in the end, everyone has the opportunity to speak, but everyone's voice comes with different ways, right? You, you have to have experience to be able to weigh in and, and help make a difference. And we've lost that, though. You, like you people have. that don't have to have any experience. You've got, you've got people that have never even read a medicine book, let alone took a medicine course, is going to jump on the internet and tell you how a tourniquet should be applied. That's the mm. craziness that we face right now. Is yeah, we don't want to get in the tourniquet debate, right? <laughs> we really don't. <laughs> That's a whole other like five hour podcast. Yes, I know. But yeah. just the, the experience-based knowledge and experience-based opinions. That's right. It's like people are too quick to fire off third-party information that they, they've just listened to. They've never had to experience it. Well, themselves. that's right. You know, when you go into a kinetic situation, who do you fear? The person who's making the most noise or the person who's quiet in the back of the room? Always fear the person who's quiet, the quietest person in the room. They're the person to watch, right? Because they're generally taking it all in. They're thinking, they're reasoning, they're solving problems, right? It's very much the same way here, right? Uh, you know, when you do events, you're speaking to people, you have the folks who are just talking, 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 blowing up, saying all these things, but you got to watch the people in the back of the room for both pros and cons. They're either the ones who are really going to have something profound that you need to work on, or they're going to say something that makes a difference to those around the room. And I think a lot of times we get sucked into it. We were talking about it earlier and focusing on just the negative aspects of all that comes out on things, right? And uh, it's important to take the balance of this and not just paint this negative picture because, you know, one of the things that I really like to talk about as a politician is people tell us we're a nation divided, right? How many times do you hear that a day yeah. uh, on common media? But we're not, man. We're a nation that people are desperately trying to divide because when they point us against each other, they can push whatever rhetoric, whatever nonsense they want. And in the end, I'm a Republican candidate, right? I believe in conservative values. I swore an oath to defend our constitution that never 
never expires. I love our country. I bled for our country. And I would give everything I have to make sure my children have the same opportunities we did, right? That's where my, my heart is at. And that's honestly why I'm running is because I didn't see people who espoused our values, who spoke to the blood equity, the sweat equity, who put the time in to serve this country that I thought were able to take this race and flip this seat and help flip the house. And, you know, my dad taught me this, SF pushed this in my head, and every other unit that i ever been around told me this. If you see a problem that needs solving and nobody knows how to solve it, but you do, if you don't solve that problem or at least try your hardest, you are the problem. And I, I just couldn't stand on the sideline, right? I didn't dream of politics, man. This isn't something that... Uh, it's not glamorous. No, I've yeah. watched my friends just get <sighs> chipped apart by it. It is exhausting. Yeah. It wears you out. But in the end, it's a hard fight, but it's the right fight. And the right fight is always worthwhile, right? Because what we're talking about is the future of our nation, a country unlike any other in the annals of history, right? Yeah, and that can be drastically changed in a matter of two years if the wrong people are there doing is making the wrong decisions. And I love the point you made earlier about you you have to have value to things, right? We can't just give everything away for free. People have to understand that the freedoms and liberties we have weren't just given to us, right? They were earned. Our country painfully <laughs> earned these. Our nation is built on the shoulders of so many giants that came before us, but it's really kept in place by the sacrifices of people currently serving. And it's our time now to make sure that we bring this thing back to the center, right? Think uh, Reagan and Tip O'Neill, where we're at our best. The left and the right, guys, we're not we're not at war against each other. We're American citizens. We should try to solve problems together because that's what's good for our country. But in the end, the conservative values you and I talked about and you know, many of us believe in, they're not conservative values. They're American values. Yeah. They're the values we were all raised on, period. We need to come back to that because what we're talking about in some of these far left fringy organizations and with fringy people, even elected officials, is socialism. And that always turns out the same way, right? And the, yeah, but, and it comes back to with the, the lack of solution. Like I hear a lot of noise on the left of we should, we should, we should, but then you, 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 you can combat that with what problem are we solving by doing that? Like That's start right. there. Mm -hmm. if, if, if you had your way, what did we, what did we solve? So it's called gap analysis, right? I think that's what they called it when we were coming up the ranks, right? Uh, what is the gap that you see that needs to be solved and how do we functionally solve that and then educate your people and build a plan moving forward, right? What we do is the opposite. We have a solution and we try to find a gap to jam it into, right? Yeah. And sell it to the American people. It's just backwards. It never works that way. So yeah, about six months ago, uh, we threw my leg in the ring quite literally. And uh, <laughs> I love to use leg jokes. I get Why to do not? that. You know, and it's allowed. great to live in Tampa because we have a whole pirate fest with Gasparilla. It's an amazing city. I heard you have a leg up on your competition. I do have a leg up on my competition. <laughs> and if you go to jcollinsforcongress.com, you can buy a shirt with my leg on it as well. Well, it's, it's pretty awesome. Oh, well, what was that website? America, that was yeah. Jay Collins for Jay Congress. Collins for Congress. Two L's. Com. Yes, two L's. <laughs> and uh, check out our merch, right? Because, uh, yeah, we are giving America a leg to stand on. <laughs> and, uh, you know, limping ain't easy, right? So it's, uh, it's one of those things. But uh, quite literally, we threw my leg in the ring a, a few months ago, and uh, we're running against Kathy Castor, uh, who is, by all accounts, a very nice human being, but her politics are abysmal. She votes 100% of the time with Pelosi, 97% of the time with AOC. Wow, uh, that's not someone I, <laughs> right. I would be on the train with. Well, and it, that's in Florida, man, right? Like, that, we're a conservative no. state. We're a free state. People want. And if Florida has taught anybody anything in the last year, it's look, look at what you guys have done. Like, well, and, right. and then everybody ran there. Well, All the same people that were barking out against it the second the cameras were right. off and Twitter was put away. They ran to Florida to go live their lives. They sure are. And, and, and art is Florida have some weird body count we don't know about mm. because I still think New York takes the cake o over there. I think you're pretty pretty accurate <laughs> on that, right? You know, I I'm going to give a shout out to Governor Ron DeSantis, he right? Like that man awesome. is amazing. What he has done to stand up and fight for the him. individual civil <laughs> liberties of our, our people in Florida is such a blessing. And really, he, he's set the standard on, on the national stage, right? He's yeah. leading when others wouldn't step up and lead. And uh, love it. We are so blessed to live in that state. And I love to see his, his, his video yesterday of cut, yeah. the, cut the theatrics. What are you doing? Like, come on. Like, like, and, then, and then they're so, honestly, they're exposed. And that's what's amazing is because to watch 
the news jump on how irresponsible it was for optics of a leader to do that. It's like, no, you're exposed. And he just, he's calling bullshit when he sees it. Yeah, man. <laughs> he, he is a extremely intelligent guy. You guys are lucky. He is uh, all about the American people and, and the people in the great state of Florida. We are just blessed to have him. And, uh, you know, with that in mind, we're trying to flip Florida 14 right now. It's Tampa Bay, a.k.a. Champa Bay, because, you know, that, that is what we do right there. And uh, we're, we're pretty lucky. You know, we have a team uh, put together that's flip seats across the country. We've been very blessed. We just made the NRCC Young Guns program uh, late last week, uh, making our race and this campaign both targeted on a national basis. And I don't say that to pat myself on the back. Dude, like... I'm just the mouthpiece, right? Like I'm out here willing to throw my leg in the ring because I've been shot and blown up and uh, sticks and stones may break my bones and they do. Uh, but words are words, right? And it's okay. I'm willing to go out there and serve, but I'm willing to serve the voice of the American people because I do care. We do ask. It's not about what I think. It's about what we, the people think. It's not about me. It's about we, right? 100%. That's one of our, our, our taglines. And, and, you know, if you're listening out there watching and you don't live in Florida, it's still important to support guys like you because, That's right. you know, if we can, if we can win that house, that means we can get things passed that we want to get passed, that we can protect the things that they're, they're trying to unravel and sneak into these crazy 3,000 page bills. Like, well, that's right. <laughs> and we politics, need more so. common sense politicians out there that are, that are willing to stand up and say enough with the bullshit. Stop, stop. That's right. Like uh, we need accountability of our money. We need accountability of, you know, this, this disaster of Afghanistan, but like, where are we going to do it? We, you know, the news, the news perks up last week that supposedly they have Hillary yet again doing something. And is anything happening? No. Like, well, why? No. Like you're just showing us that there, there's a separate set of rules. Yeah, and you're hitting a great point, right? Elections have consequences, right? Uh, we were energy independent. We had an economy that was ticking along and elections happen. And now we're dealing with all the things we are and we don't have time to go over all the things that Biden is messing up. Uh, but in the end, we have to be present, right? You, the reason we fought so hard to remain on a team and I felt so guilty for so many years for not getting to be out there with them while I was rehabbing is because they tell you, You've got to be present. You got to be on point. You got to be with your team or you can't really do your job, right? Mm -hmm. And we, the people, have to get involved. If we aren't out there running for school board, for county commissioner, for mayor, for all these open races, if we're not out there talking to our neighbors, having those hard conversations, whether we want to or not, right? We're not doing what we should be doing because this democracy is earned. And if it's our time, we can't let that ball drop. We have to get involved. Not everybody has to run for office, but if that's in your heart and you see fit, there's a ton of races out there without a conservative candidate in them where Democrats are running unopposed. And if you don't like socialism, you don't like where our country's headed, get involved. If you don't want to run for office, support someone who's running for office. If you don't want you don't to support have, someone you don't have physically, the money, volunteer. That's right. If you don't have if the money, don't, if you volunteer. Don't volunteer, share the information. Go knock on Listen. doors, go tell people, <laughs> go, go evangelize and tell the story, right? Yeah. But we all have our part. You know, it, it takes many hands to do, to, to do this. And we all have our role. And in the end, if you can have, you're going to have people willing to stand the fray and push against Pelosi and the radical left and all the crazy things that are going on, they're going to have to have an army of American citizens standing behind them, behind them, right? It's, it's just the reality of it. And that's why our message has been, you know, resonating. We have a real simple focus again, you know, to make a leg joke here. I, I, I talk with my hands. I'm trying hard not to on the podcast, so I don't wave my hands in front of my face. Uh, <laughs> and I only have five toes, right? So I, I keep things below five just for, for planning purposes. Um, we focus on three things. I'm going to couch them into simple, simple subjects. Security. We got to secure our border. We got to secure our interior. We got to support our men and women in law enforcement, right? What's went on with, you know, the defund the police and that horrible movement? Guys, I mean, say it out loud, right? If you say it out loud and it doesn't make sense, you probably shouldn't do it, right? Um it's just wrong. And then you hit on it a second ago. What's going on internationally with our, our failure points in Afghanistan has really 
allowed Russia, China, Iran, and everybody else who wants to do damage to, the, to liberties and freedoms to step into it because we created a vacuum. The one thing that Biden doesn't understand and Trump did and Republicans do understand is that you have to lead with courage, strength, and honor. The world remembers what America is about. We have to remember what we're about, right? When we abandoned our allies, we emboldened our enemies, and we also isolated uh, the allies who had served with us for many, many years in that country. Uh, by by leaving that vacuum, we left the space and they stepped into it, right? Yeah. I mean, that, that's just the reality. Do you think this would have happened if we hadn't had those failures? Would Ukraine be invaded by Putin and his thugs? I don't think so. But when you exhibit weakness on the international stage. Weakness and laziness. That's right. It's, you know, I'll bring TR up, right? He's a fascinating study in American history, right? Teddy Roosevelt. But it's big stick uh, diplomacy, right? You have to keep the world straight. This isn't our fight in, the Ukra in Ukraine, but it is something we can influence. And had we done our responsibility and our job and, and shown the world that, we do stand for freedom and we have our crap in, in order and we're not going to let our country unfold. Uh, I bet a lot of this doesn't happen because Putin is put in check, right? What is China doing? We already know they have designs on, on Taiwan, right? What is Iran doing? We have this whole other deal that we never should enter back into with Russia as a third party brokering that. Are you, are you kidding me? Are we really saying this out loud that we don't think there's negative collusion going on between these three countries? Like, guys, this isn't a square deal, right? Step away from the table. That deal shouldn't happen. And uh, remind people who we are. We're the United States of America. We should never have let the Taliban tell us we could or could not take our people out. We don't need to allow Putin to have the world stage and push power across Europe. That, that's not what happens. If we lead with courage and honor, the world's going to be a much, much better place. And we can focus on things that matter, like our border, like our interior. How about not making bills that spend trillions of dollars we shouldn't spend, right? And, you know, I, I make my six and nine-year-old balance their budget and we just want to spend money uh, like it's a, a Monopoly or a Hasbro game, right? We're driving inflation up faster than we're printing money. And that's that's pretty hard to, hard to fathom. And, you know, the third point after security money is unity. We have more in common. All the things we're talking about, everybody believes, man. They want to balance mm -hmm. their budget. They want their families to be happy and healthy, and they want security. Those are American values, and everyone's pretty much united on those things. And they agree they didn't vote for socialist nonsense, minus a few people in the fringe. So as conservatives, we have to go out there and be present. We have to use our voice, and we have to push that message, you know? It's amazing. I'm so glad you came out here to tell us all this, and I challenge everybody to go look further into your campaign because Florida needs you. Well, uh, I appreciate it, brother. And, you know, even though I can be a little loquacious and, uh, you know, we all, we're all SF guys, right? Or our soft guys, we can tell stories. Uh, one of the hallmarks of our campaign is uh, an ethos of deeds, not words. We don't need more politicians. We're going to step up there and just tell you what you want to hear. Yeah. I may not have the answers. I'll have the honesty to tell you. I don't know that, but I will find out. But what I can promise you is when we do get elected, we do flip the house, I will work tirelessly. I will break my back every single day. If I have to bleed for the American people again, I will, right? Because that's what I believe in. There's nothing more important than passing off these freedoms to my children and those generations to come. And if you believe that, you believe in the message, man, go to jcollinsforcongress.com, uh, follow us, and uh, we appreciate the support. Awesome. Thanks so much, Jay. Thanks. concludes today's training. Any questions? Woo! Drum titties, boy!